Hello everyone, welcome back to our podcast. We're very glad to have you here with us. Uh, we're missing uh, Ken and Luke, and um, that's a pity. Uh, we always miss them when they're not here, but they'll be joining us again soon. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, today's recording. My name's Cameron. Yeah, and I'm Lachlan, and this is just what happens when pandemics end and lockdowns are a thing of the past and life resumes and things get busy and instead of being at home uh seemingly endless hours of the week everyone is out and about doing things and and we're really glad of that but on this episode it means we're down just to to the two of us so we're going to have to keep our sharp thoughts um yeah about us because you can't sit back and relax and listen to the other people give the insights. No, 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 exactly right. And um, <clears throat> I will miss their input. Uh, Locke, d- just before we start, you'll be pleased to know that I went to the shops and, and purchased an enormous amount of toilet paper. Oh, oh, fantastic. I hope that you've stored at least some of it within easy reach because that's that's the other yeah. problem that can befall someone. Yeah, yeah. Um, listeners who haven't listened to our previous episode must now go and do that so that that comment makes any sense at all uh but uh not yet because we're about to uh dive into uh first samuel the the discussion today lock is on uh, patience and waiting yeah that's right uh, which does seem to be one element of of those you know crucible like experiences of life often it's it's the waiting that can actually seem most crucible ish especially if you're 10 years old oh well, I had I had a, a wise um, parent of older children once advise me once once give me the the insight when my son was only about three, and this person said you've got to remember that for a kid that young waiting is as bad as physical pain. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know our threshold for for waiting increases perhaps a little as we're older, but uh, none of us exercise patience. At least I speak for myself to quite the extent that we should. So we've all got something to learn. Uh, the lesson refers a little to the character of David, and this is a really uh, natural sort of flow-on from our discussion last week because we actually talked about David's patience in last week's episode and the fact that David, uh, though he was a, had been anointed king of Israel in secret, uh, was full of uh, almost an irrational degree of, of respect um, for Saul, even when Saul had sunk to some pretty low lows, David was was rooting for his success. And um, let's let's dive back. I know we're sort of going in the wrong order now because we're going to go back and look at the start of that story. Uh, last week we talked about some of the later episodes where David's in the cave and um, all of that. But uh, like, let's jump into First Samuel sixteen and read the first uh, dozen verses or so. Yeah, that's right. I'll start. This is 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. 
What's wrong? they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest. Jesse answered, He's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We'll not sit down till he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and appointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Right. Well, that's that's the bit of the story we wanted to read. And this is in some ways the start of the story of David, King David. Here he is anointed king. And I'll, I just want to open with the observation that we're, we're here to talk a little bit about patience and about waiting. But it's not always a bad thing to have to wait. This narrative as a story makes us wait. The, yeah. the, the build-up is suspenseful. And and yeah. <laughs> just going through the going through all of the it's it's almost laboured in its waiting to get to the punchline of of David being the one. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And um, in this story, it's Samuel that's doing the waiting, and uh, he's having to be patient. Uh, there is also this sense, you know, in the next chapter of David and Goliath, you, you get the sense that David's brothers don't respect their youngest sibling as a leader. I mean, he's well, he's out with the sheep. Um, <laughs> and there's some beautiful exchanges in the next chapter when, um, when they get angry with David because he's asking about Goliath. And they say, oh, you're just a troublemaker. We know why you've come here. You've just got permission to come here so that you can see the battle, which is hugely ironic because there isn't one. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if... If David's brothers were, had half the guts that David had, there would have been a battle 40 days previously. So um, they, they're not really, um, you know, there's a definite difference here. They're seven brothers here, but the youngest is out with the sheep. They're not looking to, to David as an equal. And he's the one that's anointed. Um, and then, of course, David has to wait a long time for to, to become king. What's interesting is that David is not in a hurry to make it happen. Yeah. Well, just before you get onto that, because that's what we do need to discuss that, but I have an interesting observation just here about these verses that jumped out at me that we should pause for a moment on. Yes. The thing that jumps out at me is this. In verse 1, um, it starts with, <laughs> with Samuel mourning Saul. Saul isn't dead. It's just that he's been rejected by God. And it says that there. God says to Samuel, I have rejected him as king of Israel. But the same wording is used in verse 7 for the first of Jesse's sons. Because in verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, 
Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But in verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Rejected him in what way? Obviously, it means not selected. Um, Is it rejected because the firstborn would be the expected inheritor of this sort of privilege? And so the the fact that he's just simply not selected actually counts as a sort of a rejection? It can't be quite the same sort of rejection as in verse 1, what God did to Saul. I was just fascinated by that being the same word. Is it the same word in the translation you're looking at? Uh, it is. Uh, I'm looking at the NIV. I'll just switch over and have a look at the message, which is a paraphrase. But um, uh, you know I've rejected him as king of Israel. Uh, in the message, the second time around, it uses the word eliminated. I've eliminated oh, him. Okay. Because it's it uh, it is interesting. Because in verse eight, we then get we then start to go through the next sons. You know, there was a um, a Binadab, but Samuel said, "This is not the one the Lord has chosen." Um, being not the one chosen, to me, sounds quite different from being the one rejected. <laughs> we actually spend a lot of time thinking about God has a special job for you, you know, that you've been chosen. Most of the people in this story are not chosen. And, of course, most of the people in Israel weren't. Uh, um, yeah. only, only, um, only one in 12 of them had a spiritual vocation as a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of them spent most of their lives trying to get enough food to feed them and the priest. Uh, so uh, there'd be a sermon in there somewhere, and I can't think exactly how it would go, but it would be, what does your life look like? What meaning does your life have if you're not one of the ones the Lord's chosen? Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's interesting. Now, Locke, uh, quick question. Um, why, do, why does God do this now for David? when uh, it's, David's going to have to wait a long time, and when David himself is happy to wait a long time. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, and we know, sorry to interrupt, but we know that David is happy to wait because there are a number of opportunities that come up in the subsequent parts of this story. Opportunities for David to do away with Saul, to, to shortcut, to, um, to get, get his throne. And and he, as you commented at the start, he, he explicitly and deliberately doesn't take that course of action. So in that sense, it, it's pretty clear that he is, in some sense at least, he's happy to wait. Mm. Yeah. And the story is told in a way as to suggest that his being willing to wait is a good thing. Mm. Uh, that's, that's another interesting thought in that. So if God's promised you something, it may be... The correct thing not to pursue it. <laughs> okay, yeah, that that's an interesting thought. Um, I mean, well, that makes me think. That makes me think. We we uh, a season or two ago we looked at the story of the stories in Genesis, the book of Genesis. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The story of Abraham, Abram, is actually characterized yeah. by him not being content to wait. He's received a promise. And at a number of points, as we identified in, in our podcast episodes, he seems actually, you know, initially he thinks maybe Lot is going to be the inheritor and the multitudinous um, offspring. And then, then you know, there's the whole story with Hagar and, and Ishmael, and, and technically that's Sarah's suggestion. But Abram certainly seems to think that it's a reasonable idea, goes along with it. Um, that would make David here quite... Uh, almost in contrast, even though the two of them, Abraham and David, would be 
very easily roll off the tongue in the same sentence of biblical heroes of the Old Testament. Mm. Um, this is one area where they differ. Well, yeah. And I'm also thinking of Joseph. Uh, in, when we we're in Genesis, we commented that when, when Joseph has the power to bring about the fulfillment of his dreams, mm. to make his brothers bow down. Mm. Now, his brothers do bow down to him, but not when they know he is Joseph. Yep. Um, and he has the power after he's revealed himself to them to make them bow down. He has the power to make his father bow, bow down to him. You know, there's the sun and moon mm. as well as the stars that would bow down to him. And he doesn't do it. Uh, there's, it is an interesting theme, isn't it? People who seem to feel that God has promised them something, but who also feel that it is not, they shouldn't be seeking for it. <laughs> okay. You know, we, we talk about claiming, claim God's promises. Mm. Uh, that's not what David does. <laughs> You're right. I, I don't particularly, I, I think it's often done with extremely good intentions, but I personally find that phrasing of to claim God's promises a bit of a troubling one. Maybe what maybe this is the aspect of it that troubles me. Um, maybe it's it's holding it's contrasting that the sound of that phrase with the um, attitude of David, for example, here in this story. Mm. Locke, I'm wondering if this story here, this anointing of David, is not actually for David so much. Uh, David. There's no suggestion that David fights Goliath because he will one day be king. The story seems to suggest that he fights Goliath because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and that, that catapults him into the national spotlight. And everyone from that point onward, including Saul, has a pretty firm suspicion that David will end up king of Israel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, you can't help but comparing it to some more more modern political examples of of being catapulted to prominence um, through through some particular decisive success. Um, yeah, and it and it like being hacker. almost inevitable. Yeah, going, Jim Hacker comes to mind, <laughs> giving a fiery speech about preserving the British sausage and fighting the the. Bureaucrats from Brussels. I know a script and, written um, in the eighties that is just as prescient in the early twenty twenties. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to beat. Yes, yes, minister. Um, but maybe this is not so much for David. Maybe it's for Saul because oh. uh, come again. Maybe it's for Samuel because Samuel is upset. Well, yeah, because that's how the story starts. Now, what I mean, what precedes this in in chapter fifteen? I'm gonna have to turn back. Um, Oh, so it's straight on the end of the... On the when Saul does the Saul, sacrifice. Yeah, but the rejection of Saul is delivered by Samuel. The message, God's message. Mm. Um, he has, yeah, 22, 23 of 1 Samuel 15. Um, so because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That's... that's from the mouth of Samuel, delivering God's message to Saul. Samuel must be feeling... Samuel anointed Saul, didn't he? Yeah. So I can... I mean, we we actually started this by discussing the crucible that David may have been in while waiting for this anointing mm. promise to be fulfilled. But but we actually begin the story by... by we need to recognize that Samuel, the prophet, is is in a crucible state here. He's in a, a, a rough spot. 
Hmm. No wonder he's worried that Saul's going to kill him if he finds out because he has just told Saul that <laughs> Saul's been rejected as king. Mm-hmm. Um, and Samuel's a bit upset. My memory is, Locke, that Samuel dies before David becomes king. Oh, okay. Um uh, isn't it true uh, that Samuel doesn't even dies before Second Samuel? The whole book of Second Samuel is is not featuring doesn't Samuel. Doesn't have Samuel in it. Um, Let me just look in. Uh, uh, yeah, here it is. Um, a heading in my Bible at, at chapter twenty-five of First Samuel. Yeah, Samuel's death. And David is still a, a fugitive in the desert at this point. He's, there's the episode of Nabal, and there's. Uh, I was just looking at 24, and that's when David's in the cave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, so Samuel never sees it happen. No, yeah, 26, uh, David again spares Saul, and in 27, David flees to the Philistines. Um, so, yes, the, that chapter 25, where Samuel dies, is well before David has become uh, crowned king. Yeah, Um well, that's that's an interesting perspective. Then maybe maybe God asks Samuel to do this anointing at least partly for Samuel's own sake. Samuel's old mm. and he's going to die, and he's a bit discouraged. Oh, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So okay, that's that's fascinating because um, that's almost the flip side of this whole theme of waiting. Um, God does yeah, Samuel couldn't wait. Yeah, God doesn't ask Samuel to wait. He 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 gives in a very practical and tangible way by giving him this anointing mission to the sons of Jesse. Um he actually alleviates the waiting, the suspense for Samuel. <laughs> actually, look, now that you're talking about alleviating, the word alleviating triggered something in my mind. Uh Christ is has a very bipolar attitude towards waiting because there's a whole bunch of people he heals on Sabbath and the Pharisees uh. say couldn't 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 this person wait until the sunset and and Christ says to them hang on hang on if your donkey was stuck in a ditch you'd pull it out right now well this man's had a withered hand for 12 years or you know this this person's been blind since birth or this you know this person's been under this affliction for years and years and years. It would be awful to make them wait. Yeah, yeah. And under that scenario, so on on that sense, Christ is not against waiting. He's certainly not against. Sorry, he's certainly not in favour of us identifying when it's okay to make other people wait. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particularly when people are in pain and suffering. Ah, but then. But then there's Jairus, isn't there? Because Christ does make Jairus wait while he while he talks to the woman who's been healed. Yeah. Uh, we did an episode on this, mm. which was a wonder. I'm turning to it now, Locke, that's fresh in my mind because I'm preaching this week and I'm going to use that episode. Oh, I see. Our listeners might want to go back. It was one. It was, Luke had some insights that were, I think, really good. Uh, but Jairus is made to wait and his daughter dies in the meantime. Uh, so uh, maybe there's... Maybe this is one of the cases where it's dangerous to draw a hard and fast rule mm. about whether whether it is always good or always bad uh, to be 
patient or whether God always requires us to be patient in, in times of suffering. Well, I think that uh, one of the things that can be said there is, as we have said at other points over the last weeks, as we've been discussing, this whole theme of being in the crucible is about when, you know, when when you get to life's less pleasant moments, you know, tough spots in life. Yeah. I think what we can very obviously conclude is that having experiencing a rough point in life cannot be interpreted as either God's negative judgment upon you or the lack of God's presence with you. It, it seems to me sometimes yeah. the people who are closest to God's presence don't have to wait, like Samuel. And sometimes the people who yeah. are closest to God's presence have to wait a lot, like David. And there's no there's no yeah. sort of there's not an inherent rhyme or reason or correlation there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, uh, Matthew 25. Can we turn to Matthew 25? Yeah. Because this is the other element of Christ's teachings about waitings. It would be bad for us not to, I think, mention his parables because there's a lot of parables about waiting. There's the servants with the talents who are waiting for their master to come home. There's the um, uh, waiting in eager anticipation like... uh, the ten virgins and the wedding feast. There's a couple of different mm-hmm. referrals to servants waiting for someone to come home from a wedding feast. There's also anticipation of a different sort, where he says, "You know, the coming of my coming will be like a thief in the night." <laughs> yeah. Um, and <clears throat> uh, um, they do seem to be stories that in- suggest that we could be in for a long wait. Now that I think about them. Yeah, yeah. C- certainly, certainly, the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, I'm looking at the clock. We're up to twenty-five minutes or so. Um, I think we have enough time. I-, I might read this parable. Yeah, do it. At-, at the time, the king of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day nor the hour. This story has always puzzled me. It's obviously a cultural... Mm. There's some reference that everyone would have understood about the way weddings operate that doesn't make sense for me. But I'm happy to accept the premise that it was normal for the bridesmaids, as it were, to wait to welcome the groom, or maybe there's some element of tradition at play here. Uh, it does seem to suggest very much that um, the bridegrooms are not... Sorry, the the, the virgins are not criticised for getting tired. Yeah, They're not criticised for falling asleep. Uh, no, because I think all of them fell asleep. They all fell asleep. Um, they're not criticised because they didn't predict when he was coming Hmm. they criticized because they didn't allow for the possibility that it might be a long time okay so this this is interesting that final verse for you do you know keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return instinctively i feel that 
that verse is typically used, and, and I'm, I'm coming from the, the Seventh-day Adventist context, which has a particular focus on the, you know, the soon um, imminence, the near, near imminence of the Second Advent. But keep watch, for you do not know the hour, day or hour of my return, seems indelibly connected with the idea of he might return sooner than you expect. But actually the story, as you point out, is kind of saying, be, be prepared because he might return later than you expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Um, this is why it puzzles me because this verse is, this story is often used to talk about the second coming and, um, and it seems so at odds with the rhetoric that we use in the Adventist church. Mm. Mm. It, it, very obviously the message is we could be in for a long wait. Yeah, and, and what are you going to do about a long wait? What, what, would be, what would be part of being ready, being prepared for a long wait? Yeah. They were all yeah. ready for a short wait. They were all ready for a short wait. In fact, Locke, it's not just this parable now that I think about it. It's all of them. The, the servants with the talents. The one who anticipated the soon return of the master was surely the one who buried the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that he had it on hand, ready to give back. Yeah, I mean, this the parable you're referring to just follows immediately on in Matthew 25. Um, yeah. So so there's actually some merit in comparing the two because they're, they're, um, they're clearly connected together in the in the arrangement of the book of Matthew. Yeah, that's does, that's really fascinating. Um does God um does can you think of a single parable where Christ uh suggests that it is important to anticipate the timing of the return of the master? Oh, well, I think the contrary actually. I mean, doesn't he explicitly say you you can't, you don't know? No one knows the timing. Yes, yeah, yeah. This is this is we've said this before, probably about three years, two years ago on the podcast. I know I haven't said it for a long time. This is a quote um, uh, from George MacDonald, who was an author. He wrote the um, Princess and the Goblins, the well-known children's story, and he was a preacher and a writer of of uh, Christian allegory. Um, C.S. Lewis really enjoyed his works. But he said this once. He said, Do those who say, Lo here or lo there, are the signs of his coming, think to be too keen for him and spy his approach? When he tells them to watch, lest he find them neglecting their work, they stare this way and that, and watch, lest he should succeed in coming like a thief. <laughs> so, throughout, if instead of speculation, we gave ourselves to obedience, what a difference would soon be seen in the world. Right. <laughs> Well, I think this is a very, very fruitful and interesting um, and necessary reflection, uh, I think particularly for the Adventist church, for the Adventist community, because, um, you know, it has to be admitted now that we are getting close to the history of the Seventh-day Adventist church being a full 10% of the entire history of the Christian church uh, in terms of years. Um, Mm. And... That means that some of the elements of the urgency, the imminence, the soonness, um, you know, as generation gives way to generation, gives way to generation, some of that, some of that emphasis, which was just so vivid for the Adventist pioneers, um, mm. 
loses that vividness just it it cannot help but do so um yeah yeah yeah. and so reflecting on the on the role of waiting or or even on the messaging of jesus around waiting uh, i think is a valuable thing to think about i've got my brain thinking on a slightly related but slightly different direction again picking up on on you know the the particularly adventist view of sabbath and and the nearness of the of the advent i mean that's the seventh day adventist bit in the name right we commented on joseph having received in a dream early in his life a an indication of of what was his and then not actually um requiring it. it yeah not and not requiring it yeah, yeah when when he has the power to make it happen when he could totally justify it as being god's will and god's clear direction he actually doesn't um yeah. push for it and i i just wonder there's no clear there's no clear map but i just wondered to myself sometimes i think in its in its less generous moments the adventist tradition envisages all of this soonness and this second coming and this waiting sort of in the context of well those baddies are going to cop it and we you know baddies probably being popish persons and catholics to be honest in in a in a historical adventist view of things um yeah and and you know and we get to get to experience that which was promised to us as a as a reward for our special selection or our or our extreme obedience or our diligent observance and adherence to the bible um and uh, that that's motivated some good things and some bad things in history but but what is intriguing to me is just to ponder this thought what would it mean to be the seventh day adventist who was oriented towards the second advent and was um practicing the sabbath as an attitude of life and generosity and so felt that they were totally legitimately um fitting into the name seventh-day adventist and more than just the name of the community but who who were slightly more aligned with the joseph view of the world well we may have had blessings promised us but wouldn't it be better if we could just pass those blessings on even to those who may not have received the promise quite as vividly as us you know i just wonder whether that kind of generosity might actually alter the attitude of waiting well yeah and with the parable of the gold we know that the master is going to come back uh but uh when he comes he's not going to reward us for standing at the door ready to open it for him Hmm. he's going to reward us for using the blessings he has given us to improve the world yeah um, because the the parable after what's the parable after the bags of gold so so in fact that this is a really good thing in order let's let's build this progression of ideas i'm connecting comments like from a distant past i remember hearing a sermon i can't remember who it was by and it came to me just just then so let's uh connect the ideas through and see if i can recreate the sermon um in in 25 at the start of 25 we get told that as we wait it could be a long time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's that's the premise don't bank everything on a soon return of the master yeah uh second parable what are we meant to be doing while we wait well the master has entrusted us with things Mm -hmm. 
and he wants us to invest those things in some metaphorical sense, but he wants us to use what he has given us, not to just sit around waiting yep. for. Okay, so what does use, what does this use look like? <laughs> it looks what? exactly like verses 31 to 46. <laughs> yeah, in verses 31 to 46, we find what are the sorts of things which are investing the talents. Mm. What do, so so uh, perhaps the, it's the story of the sheep and the goats. And the king says to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they said, well, when? Mm. We didn't do this. And he said, no, no, no. You did it to each other. Mm. Mm. Um, and when you when you did it to the least of those among you, you, you did it for me. And then he turns to, as it were, the servant who buried the talent in the ground, mm-hmm, perhaps, mm-hmm. the goats, and says, hang on, you, you haven't done anything. Yeah. Um, you didn't visit me in prison and you didn't clothe me and you didn't feed me. Yeah. Uh, so perhaps those three stories together close, close the loop. Um, uh, when we stop and argue about when Christ is coming and say that Christ is going to come back soon, but maybe how soon? Is it very soon? How many of the signs have been fulfilled? Which signs? Um, it's a little self-absorbed. Uh, one of the problems I have at the moment, Locke, is that I am too self-absorbed. And I said to Ken, I have some stresses at work. And the stresses are legitimate. But when they start affecting the people around you, you need. I need to... There needs to be a point where you say, all right, I know this is stressing me, but I need to put it aside mm. to be present with, with those around me. And I said to Ken the other day, I said, um, the trouble is I'm too self-absorbed, which is in itself a very self-absorbed statement to make. Right. <laughs> um, and um, Ken liked that. Um, it's true, though. Um, <clears throat> so uh, where did that come from? Um the the servant who buries it in the ground is quite self-absorbed. Mm. The talent mm. in the ground. The the our church can be quite self-absorbed when when we start arguing over the fine details of the signs and trying to pinpoint the timing. Right. And talking to each other about how lovely it is that we know Christ is coming soon. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it good? Mm. Um, mm. Isn't it an important truth? Isn't it? And we we talk to this to each other um, much more than we talk to the wider world um maybe maybe that's not the point maybe the point is getting back to joseph maybe god's promise is coming soon maybe we shouldn't be too eager to claim that promise as it were maybe we should say just hang on um i've got 24 hours ahead of me and i can think of some things that are really good Mm. that need doing in the 24 hours i can see some people that need helping yeah and the people that need Um, helping might even yeah this is this is highlighted by the the subsequent anecdotes in the in the life of David after his anointing the people who are there who might need helping who might need our mercy our kindness our generosity might even number among those that the lord has rejected if i pick that troublesome word up from yes. sec, from first samuel <laughs> yeah and it it yeah, far yeah, be yeah. it from us to say oh look i'm sorry i think that you fall into the rejected bin um yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is the point of the sheep and the goats, isn't it? Yeah. He says, go go and find the people in the rejected bin and help. Them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in which case, in which case, God doesn't want us to sit around and wait. 
Mm. I, he wants us. He wants us to anticipate. Waiting suggests that you're inactive. You know, this is getting back to the the three year old. Oh yeah. Waiting being physical pain. The bit that makes it physical pain is having nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> if if you say, I know Christmas is four days away, but hey, I've just thought we could go out riding our push bikes. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, that does make that does make the waiting so much easier. <laughs> and and because in that sense, you're not waiting. You're finding something to do. Yeah. Um, and maybe the the these parables that we've read uh, suggest that uh, our emphasis should be less on how long we have to wait and more on, well, given that we could have to wait a long time, mm. let's find as many good things to do and do them. I think that that's really, really well said. I, I reckon we're not going to get a better concluding thought than that. So I, I think we might have reached the end. I think we might have. It's in, in a good, timely fashion. Now, um, <clears throat> we uh, I hope that Ken and Luke will join us again next week. Uh even more so, we hope that you, our listener, will join us. Uh, we enjoy sending these podcasts out. Uh, our download statistics go up and down a bit. Uh, they've gone up just a bit recently. That's uh, gratifying. Uh, the gratification we get from that doesn't compare with the joy of the conversation that we have. And we, I've said before, we would have these conversations even if we didn't re- record them. Uh, we hope that they're useful to you and that they stimulate thought. It's unlikely that you will agree with everything we say. Uh, sometimes I don't agree with everything I say uh, <laughs> when I listen to it in the edit. Uh, if you uh, have any perspective, uh, any comment of encouragement or or correction, then please email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And uh, if you feel that this would uh, help stimulate uh, useful and reflective thoughts in anyone that you know, um, then please... Uh, send them a link to the podcast and we, we do hope it's useful uh, to you and uh, feel free to share it with any of your friends and indeed your enemies and uh, please join us again for our discussion next week